Our sermon text for this evening comes from Matthew chapter 11. It reads like this, verse 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear in the midst of our worship of you. Holy Spirit, speak through these feeble lips to deliver your good news to your people. Thank you for those you have gathered here tonight. May you enrich them and inspire them and move them. Through the power of your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, summer is almost over. I hate to deliver the news to you in case you weren't aware of that, but yes, it's coming to a close. Uh, school is starting this week for my kids, and I think for a, an awful lot of college students, uh, it's starting this week, and uh, you know, I think even if you're not in school, you, there's a sense in which Labor Day is sort of the cutoff, and then it's time to get back into the grind. And so my question to you tonight is, do you feel well-rested? Do you feel like you were able to just leisurely nap the summer away? My guess is, if you're anything like me, the answer is something around not quite. Not quite that. Um, I think there's kind of two views of rest in our world a lot of the time. There's two, two sorts of views of rest. One of them is my view. Uh, typically, like when my family goes on vacation, the way that we rest or the way that I want to rest is I want to go see everything in the particular place we are vacationing at. I want to eat at all the cool restaurants. I have an insane case of FOMO. I have, I, am, I have fear of missing out all the time when we're on vacation. And the only way that I feel like we really rested well for vacation is if by the end of the day I'm exhausted with all of the cool stuff we did. My wife has a different view of rest because it's obvious that my view of resting on vacation is frankly insane. Uh, no one sees it's not rest. It's literally the opposite of that. My wife, Missy, who is more sane, her view of resting is like lounging by the pool, maybe with a book, maybe not. We're good. We're good. We don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to see anything. It's fine. Our whole life, I mean, we live in New York City for crying out loud. What else is there to see? We see it all the time. Uh, and I think as I'm getting older, uh, she is wearing off of me because more and more I just don't care about missing out anymore. I'm like, well, all right, whatever. They did it. They figured out something cool to do. Uh, but, but that's rest. Rest is literally, it's defined this way, to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. Pretty easy. 
So why, if it seems so easy, why is it so difficult for us to just rest? Uh, Tim Kreider, a writer, wrote a column for the New York Times a while back in which he posited that, um, that basically the phrase of the 21st century in America, the pat response to any question about how you're doing right now is two little words, super busy, crazy busy. Being busy is our way, our way of basically telling the world, I matter. I am important, I am valued, I am needed in so many places that I just don't have time. Do you see that I matter, that I'm valuable, that I'm important? And the response when we say we're crazy busy from the person is actually a kind of congratulations. Well, better than the opposite. Good to hear, you know, you, that's a good problem to have. Here's what Kreider says in the column, quote, almost everyone I know is busy. They feel anxious and guilty when they aren't either working or doing something to promote their work. I'm guilty. I am. And what is true physically in regard to rest, I believe is very much linked to what is true spiritually in regard to rest. If we can't rest physically, then there's spiritual components to that. There is a spiritual reason to that. If we can't rest physically, we won't rest spiritually either. And yet this is the world we live in. I mean, if, if, you're, if you live in New York City, it's, I mean, this is the city that never sleeps. Right? I mean, this, this is what is expected of you. The people here expect to work 60 to 80 hours a week, and that's just like, that's what I moved here for. That's what I got here for. I want to work that much. And yet we're all, I mean, every, every study shows that we're all, like, killing ourselves. We're burned out beyond belief. And in our smartphone age, where we can literally now sit in our bed at night, in the middle of the night, maybe only after, after waking up after a few hours, we pull up our phone and we can respond to emails or we can make sure and promote what we're doing on social media. I mean, that's real. That's real. I mean, it's, we, our brains don't stop and we're exhausted and we don't rest. And Jesus comes to us tonight in our text and has the audacity to say to us, come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying is, the reason you don't rest is because you're not coming to me. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, why, do we, why do we resist rest? At first, I think it's because, and the text shows this, I think it's because it means that we have to admit that God is in control of our lives. I think that's the first reason we resist uh, rest. If you look in your, in your uh, program, look at verse 25 with me. You'll notice that the passage uh, comes at a particular time. As it says, at that time, Jesus declared something. Well, what was going on at that time? Well, in the context of the passage, which I didn't print out for you, I should have, but uh, back in verse 17... Uh, he's talking to a crowd that refuses to repent and acknowledge that he's Lord. They just refuse to submit to him. And what he says about them, he says, You are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance, we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. 
Now, that phrase probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. But what that, that phrase essentially means is you are never happy because you want to be the ones that are pulling the strings in your relationship with God. You're the ones who want, you, I don't dance good enough for you, or I don't mourn good enough for you. It's you who are trying to control the situation, and that's why you won't come to me. And in contrast, Jesus then says, uh, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you, that you have hidden these things from the wise of understanding and revealed them to little children, literally infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What's he saying? I am in control. God is the one who pulls the strings, not you, not me, not anyone else. God is. Is that comforting? Maybe. I like to say that. I affirm it on a piece of paper that tells me what I should espouse doctrinally about the character of God. I will say, God is in control. Yes, I agree with this. But functionally... I love living under the illusion that I'm the one pulling the strings for my day. And what Jesus comes into our life and says is, no, it's all me. And part of what it will mean for you to be a Christian the rest of your life is learning every day. And I mean every day. This is, I'm just telling you this. I'm older than most of you in this room. I'm telling you it's an everyday thing. You will have to learn all the time. I don't have control. I don't have control. I don't have control. I don't have control. Robert Capon uh, pictures the prayer of someone with a heart that is averse to just simply resting and knowing that the Lord is ultimately the one in charge. And he says this, quote, Lord, please restore to us the comfort of merit and demerit. Show us that there is at least something we can do. Tell us that at the end of the day there will at least be one redeeming card of our very own. Lord, if it is not too much to ask, send us to bed with a few shreds of self-respect upon which we can congratulate ourselves. But whatever you do, do not preach grace to us. Give us something to do, anything, but spare us the indignity of this indiscriminate acceptance. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Here's the big, po big point of point number one here. The reason we resist God being in control is the same reason that we might resist grace. It's ultimately, it's trusting that he knows what he's doing for us. And that leads me to the second reason why I think we resist rest. And that is simply, it means we're not as important as we think we are. Some of you have the personality in here, just the natural proclivity, uh, that if somebody asks you to do anything at any time, you feel an obligation to do that thing. And if you don't do that thing, that the world's probably going down. Like the world's going to end if you're not on top of the game. And so you carry burden after burden after burden. You carry more weight than you can possibly carry. And you busy yourself beyond all ability to... Stay sane. And Luke 10 um, shows us that 
there's a problem with that. Uh, it, Luke 10 is about two sisters, Mary and Martha, and uh, they find out that Jesus is going to come over to their house. Now imagine, just put yourself there for a second, the Messiah. God is going to be like, he's like, hey, I'm coming for lunch. Do you think there'd be a little bit of pressure, just a little bit, on the owners of this house to clean up? I mean, I can tell you, when we host a community group every Tuesday night, uh, or most Tuesday nights in my apartment, there's always, we're always cleaning to prepare because we know we're going to have guests. This is pretty normal. Imagine how deep cleaning that goes when you know it's going to be God sitting at your lunch table. Like you are scrubbing every bit of mildew in that joint. It doesn't matter. You are getting down into the corners of that house because you are, you are entertaining the Lord. So Martha, of course, very understandably, as the Lord walks in, is constantly busy. She's just going at it. She's scrubbing. You know, she's got you know a steel wool out or whatever they had back then. I mean, she's just you know going at it, and she's got something on the stove, and she's really, really working hard. And meanwhile, Jesus is sitting there talking, and Mary is just sitting with him. It's like all doing nothing, and just just you can picture it. This doesn't take a great imagination. What is Martha's face looking like as the day goes on every time she looks at Mary? I mean, just like, you could see like the passive aggression, just like the, you could feel it, like just getting more and more and more, like gritting teeth. You know, even at first being like, no, it's fine, it's fine, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You know, just really, and then finally she just blows up and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. I love the way that she talks to God. <laughs> God, do something. Tell her to help me, right? And Jesus, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he says her name twice to show a term of endearment. This is set out of love and care for her. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha is afraid to let go for fear that it wouldn't work itself out and was unable to rest because of it. And Jesus says, no, it's better to rest with me and acknowledge that you're not as important as you think. If the house needs to be dirty in order for you to hang out with me, so be it. If the, if the dinner doesn't turn out all that well, if the lunch doesn't turn out great, so be it. I want you just with me. That's more important. And that leads, I, I think, to the last reason we're afraid to rest. So we're afraid to rest because it means giving up control, or at least giving up the illusion of control. It's not like we ever really had it. It means, uh, it, it, it means, secondly, that we have to acknowledge we're not as important as we thought we were. And thirdly, it means we have to admit we need help. By its very definition, rest implies that we can't always do it. As he says in our text, we're wearied, we're heavy laden, we're burdened. What does that mean? But that we just can't carry it all. 
we are weighed down with anxiety and strife over our lives, our salvation, our relationship to God, and really when it comes down to it, our sin. We are so afraid that if we fail at anything in our lives, that that will make us, that will invalidate us. And in reality, what we need to do first and foremost every day is say, I can't. The words of the Christian from the very beginning are the words, I cannot. I cannot. In the 17th century, the great philosopher Blaise Pascal uh, shows us that the problems of our time are not new. This is what he wrote in the 1600s. Quote, I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. So whenever anybody tells you, oh, kids today with their smartphones, eh, just quote to them, Pascal. It's been a problem forever. We don't know how to stay quiet in our room. And philosopher and scholar Peter Kraft commenting on this wrote, we ought to have much more time, much more leisure than our ancestors did because technology, which is the most obvious and radical difference between their lives and ours, is essentially a series of time-saving devices. That's what they're made for. And so he points out in ancient societies, if you were rich, you had slaves to do all the menial work so that you would be free to enjoy your leisure time. Life for the rich was essentially very vacationing. It was full of leisure because they had slaves to do all their work for them. But now, Kreef says, that everyone has slave substitutes, machines, smartphones, you name it. Why doesn't everyone enjoy the leisurely, vacationing lifestyle of the ancient rich? Why have we killed time instead of saving it? Kreeft asks. And here's his answer. We want to complexify our lives. We don't have to. We want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things that we complain about. Because, this is his sort of last wrap-up sentence, if we actually took time to look at ourselves and listen to our hearts, we would see a great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. To rest in Jesus means inherently we must say, I've got a hole way too big for anything in this life to fill. So let me wrap up. How do we find rest? Well, it starts right here. It starts with those words, I cannot. It starts with the words, I need help. I, I can't fix myself. It starts with acknowledging my sin is too much for me to carry and my life is too much for me to handle. It means no longer papering over the hole in my heart with something that is a poor substitute for the real God that only Jesus can do. It means coming to Jesus as you are right now and admitting that and taking up his easy yoke and his light burden you want to rest, that's where it's at. It starts there. 
and it continues there so that even if you're working really hard, if you have a season where you're really grinding, when you have Jesus, you can do it in a spirit of restful worship instead of anxious activity. And believe me, I am preaching to myself right now. I am, in some ways, as I'm preaching to you, my own heart is convicted about my own incessant restlessness. So I need this just as much as you do. I saw a wonderful illustration of this on Mockingbird's website a little while back from a German movie called The, the Crown Prince about what it looks like. What does it look like to come to Jesus and find rest? In the scene, the crown prince Rudolph has just died and is uh, going to be laid to rest in a, he's been laid to rest in a casket and then his body is taken to the royal crypt in Habsburg. And the tradition in the town that uh, was that in order to get the door opened and have access to the royal resting place, the priest serving there had to know the person being buried there. The priest had to know the person. So, big procession arrives at the door of the crypt and they knock. And the priest on the other end says, who goes there? And the man responsible for bringing Rudolph's body stands there amidst throngs of people and lists off a litany of important titles about Rudolph. The Kaiser, the Crown Prince, the Archduke of Austria, ruler of Habsburg, etc., etc. Rudolph goes on for 30 seconds or so. When he finally stops, to his surprise, the priest on the other side of the door says, I do not know him. So he knocks again. Who goes there? This time he simply says, it's Rudolph of Habsburg. I do not know him, the priest says. Knocks again. Who goes there? This time the man says, Rudolph, a poor sinner. And the doors are open to his final resting place. That's where it starts. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you're sitting here tonight not sure what you believe, that's where it starts. It starts admitting that. And Jesus opens the door for you to have true rest. At the end of his article in the New York Times, Tim Kreider says this, I suppose it's possible that I'll lie on my deathbed regretting that I didn't work harder and say everything I had to say. But I think what I'll really wish is that I could have one more beer with Chris, another long talk with Megan, one last good hard laugh with Boyd. Life is too short to be busy. End quote. So, uh, church, as you enter your most likely pretty vacationless fall uh, and a busy new school year and all the other things in life that will call you away from rest and that will make you feel that you cannot, my prayer for you in the upcoming months is that every day you'll go back to the source of true rest to empower you through anything that you might face here in New York City. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, that it's in you that we find our rest. 
Father, it is so easy to either try and find our rest in poor substitutes, or it is so easy to, um, to just simply make ourselves believe that we don't need it. And of course, whenever we think that we don't need it, everybody else around us can tell we most definitely do. So Lord God, I pray that you would help us to come to you daily and find the rest that we need, dropping off our burdens, our anxieties, and walking in the freedom you give. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we move on to 